Welcome to Legislative Breakdown. It's a podcast from Boise State Public Radio. I'm Samantha Wright with Gary Moncrief, Boise State University political science professor. He spends his spare time studying legislatures around the country, including Idaho's. And in this podcast, we break down the Idaho legislature, what's happening, drilling down into the why and the how it affects you. And Gary, you know, this week we had a whole lot of bills that uh, showed up in the legislature and a lot of them moved around. A few of them didn't make it, like the uh, the bill to raise the smoking age to 21. That died in committee this week. But a lot of bills going on. And uh, where are we with the Idaho health plan that the governor had uh, had suggested and had brought forward. Uh, This was the plan that was supposed to help cover 35,000 people who fell into the Medicaid gap. Where are we with that? So this is interesting. This bill passed out of committee. I think it was a seven to five vote. So it would be going to the second reading calendar and then the third reading calendar for vote. And leadership has essentially delayed that vote. They've put that uh, at the bottom of the calendar for two weeks. So it's just on hold? It's on hold, basically. The assumption is that the leadership doesn't think they have enough votes within the Republican Party to pass that bill at this point. And so they're holding on to it while they essentially try to drum up support for the bill. So would they have enough votes with Democrats? Yes, they would have enough votes with Democrats, probably. You have to look at the vote in which this bill came out of committee. It was a seven to five vote. And... The Republicans on that committee split five to five. And so what gave the the bill a majority to get out were the two Democrats. So it's seven to five. Now, there is a kind of informal rule that's being used now in some states, particularly among Republicans, that's based on Dennis Hastert. When he was Speaker of Congress, the U.S. House of Representatives, there's something called the Hastert rule, which essentially said, I'm not bringing anything to the floor unless I have the support of a majority of my caucus. So basically, the idea here is you have to have a majority within the majority party in order to bring something to the floor. The inference that we can draw here in terms of the health care bill is that the Republicans in the House don't think they can meet that Hastert rule, if you will, criteria, now referred to in Idaho as the Bedke rule, basically. For Scott Bedke. Yeah, who is the speaker. speaker. And and there are a number of majority leaders or speakers around the country right now who are, have implemented that. If you think about it, what this really does, in my estimation, it essentially leads to more polarization. And it downplays the possibility of of having bipartisanship. In Congress, it used to be the case that you would sometimes get 40% of one party coalescing with 60 or 70% of the other party, and that, and together, they would make a majority. That's a true bipartisan component. Well, by imposing this particular rule, what you're doing is essentially driving an ideological purity argument within your own caucus, and it makes it much harder, I believe, to get bipartisanship. We've got some other bills that came up. Some of these are hot-button issues, uh, Sharia law, nullification. We had a bill that came up from a fourth grader to make huckleberry pie the state dessert. Um, tell me about some of these. Well, we talked about Pie Day uh, last week or week before. and This is not uncommon for legislators to deal with some idiosyncratic thing as being of that state, the state reptile, the state butterfly, the state in- whatever. Often these come from some elementary school class, and it's sort of a civics 
type of engagement for them. Sometimes those pass, sometimes they don't. I guess we'll see what happens with this. It's certainly not the most important policymaking component that could be going on right now. Given the changes at the national level, given what's going on in the state of Idaho, there's a lot of uh, significant policy that we could be attending to. But this happens in all states. You have these kinds of uh, state animal, state pie, state tofu, you know, whatever. (laughs) State tofu. We got to work on that next. We should take a moment here and mention Dolores Crow passed away this week. She was 86. For those of you who don't know, she was in Idaho's House of Representatives for 24 years. She served, and this is where I uh, first uh, uh, met and learned about Dolores Crow, and, uh, as the chair of the House Rev and Tax Committee. And that is a very powerful committee on the House side. That's where taxes and, and, and money things go to happen. And just sitting and watching her work as the chairman of the committee was very educational, I guess would be the, the way to put it, uh, especially when I was first starting out watching and covering the legislature. Dolores Crow was a very conservative legislator. She was, and she was tough. She was uh, very firm in her beliefs. And as you mentioned, she was chair of a very important committee, and she had a very conservative view of rev and tax. What I remember most about Dolores Crow, however, was not her work as a committee chair and her tough-mindedness there. It was her work on the Idaho Redistricting Commission the last time around. So this would be in 2012, I suppose. You may recall that redistricting commission was, in my estimation, an absolute disaster. There were too many people playing way too many political games involved. And Dolores Crow wound up getting appointed to that committee, and she basically said enough of this. And she took what I thought was a principled bipartisan position, and she caught a lot of flack from that. And she stood up and kind of drew a line in the sand on it. And while I did not always agree with Dolores Crow in terms of her policy positions, I was very proud of her for the character she showed at that point. And Dolores Crow would not hold back when she had an opinion about something, whether it was in front of the committee or in front of a reporter's microphone. She let you know what she was thinking in no uncertain, very down-to-earth terms. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely right. And uh, we are going to be doing something on redistricting here before too long on Legislative Breakdown, the podcast. Yeah, exactly. It's a topic we've had a number of people actually ask us about. It's a a complex but very important topic and one that we're going to hear a lot about in the next couple of years. We're actually going to hear quite a bit about it just within the next few months because the U.S. Supreme Court will be coming down with a decision involving gerrymandering here before too long. So something to look forward to. Absolutely. So in a federal system like we have, state and local governments sometimes have to defend themselves against federal government. And there's a lot of ways that happens. Obviously, court cases uh, is one way. But one of the ways that I think most people don't realize is that there are some organizations out there that represent associations of state officials or local government officials. And these organizations basically 
represent the state or local government's interests to Congress. Four of these are actually local government groups like the National Association of Counties. Three of them represent state interests. The National Association of Governors is one of those. There's something called the National Conference of State Legislatures, and there's something called the Council of State Governments. And the Council of State Governments has been around for quite a while, uh, since the 1930s. And they really do two things. One is they lobby on behalf of states back in D.C. The other thing they do, and probably the thing they do more of, actually, is they provide some research and support uh, services for state legislatures and really for all state elected officials. They provide issue research. They do leadership training and staff training for state legislatures around the country. And the council state governments is divided into four regional units. And we have with us today the executive director of the what's known as CSG West. And the executive director is Edgar Ruiz. And we're very pleased to have him with us today to talk about their role. I should uh. jump in with a disclaimer. Uh, I've been covering the legislature for quite a while now, and I've never heard of you before until we started until we started talking to you to set up this interview. So this yeah. is fascinating. So uh, anyway, welcome, Edgar. We're so pleased to, you're okay. here. And could you just explain for our listeners a little bit about the role or the purpose of CSG? Sure. Our role as an organization is to really bring legislators together. We do that through our policy committees, through our annual meetings, but we also do a lot of capacity training. Uh, that is an area that has really grown over the years. We also do a lot of research for legislative institutions. So um, really our role as an association is to be really a uh, an extension of staff for legislators. Mm-hmm. We also convene nonpartisan staff as well. So we work um, at, le- at the regional level, at least with legislators and legislative staff. Interesting. Uh, oh, and, what is capacity training? Yeah. And really that program focuses on, on skills building. So how to be a better negotiator, how to manage your time better as a legislator, how to work better across the aisle with your colleagues and the other party. This idea of developing a professional development that focused solely on skills building was how the the Western Legislative Academy grew out of. It's a really interesting academy. It's uh, it's held every year in Colorado Springs. So our lawmakers go and learn how to be better lawmakers. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Our goal there is to strengthen not only the capacity of lawmakers, but also strengthen legislative institutions that they serve. Yeah. And a, a lot of the people in the Idaho either as committee chairs or in leadership now, are graduates of the Western Legislative Academy. And I think that's probably true in all all the states. In fact, there are a number of people in, I think of Kate Brown in Oregon, who's yeah. now governor, and she was uh, heavily involved in the Western Legislative Academy. Now, you're a nonpartisan group. Correct. So my question is, what's in it for you? Well, I mean, our role is really to to serve legislatures. As I like to tell folks, you know, our role is to lead from behind. We serve all members of the legislature, Democrat, Republicans. Our organization is supported by state dues, so uh, and that's true of all states. And so we serve all, all the members of the legislature. You've been in Idaho here. I know you keep in contact with legislators throughout all the, all the states. And, of course, we talk a lot about Idaho in this podcast. We try to talk about it in terms of what is it that Idaho does differently or what does it do the same as other states. So is there anything in particular that you can think of that you would say is kind of unique to Idaho or that is interesting that you may or may not see in some of the other states? 
oversight. Uh, one thing yeah. that the legislature does yeah. here is provide good oversight, and that's important. That's an important role of the legislature is to, you know, make sure that the state agencies are, are accountable. One of the unique rules you have here is that every state regulation yeah. has to be considered by the legislature first yeah, uh, before right. it's adopted. And that's not true in other states. Right. You know, once the legislature passes a bill and the governor signs, those agencies have a lot of discretion in those rules, in promulgating those rules which, which they adopt. Certainly your budget process is another very unique. You have a your joint appropriations committees right. and, you know, other states you have – you know, the Senate will pass their budget bill, the Assembly or the House will, and then they have a conference, conference committee right. to determine the differences or address the differences. Here, though, you kind of tackle that from the beginning, and I think that saves a lot of time, but also it facilitates both chambers working closely right. together in the development of that budget. There's been a lot of polarization nationally and statewide in politics, whether it's state legislatures or the U.S. Congress. Are you seeing a lot of that? And is it making it harder for states, especially in state legislatures like Idaho, to do their job? So we've seen certainly more polarization in the states. We're very politically balanced as a region. Right now, we have six states where majority control, you have two chambers by Democrats, and then five states were majority controlled with two chambers Republican. And then we have two states, Alaska and Colorado, where you have split chambers. So for us, it creates a great opportunity to bring people from different political backgrounds together in a very safe, nonpartisan space to discuss issues. So that's a good thing. And that's how we, at least as an organization, try to overcome some of the polarization issues that you see in, in some states. But but certainly it's there. I think Idaho, I know the leadership here, Speaker Betke and the Senate President Pro Tem, Brent Hill, have been very proactive in really trying to instill a system where people can work together across the aisle. I know that's not always easy, but I know they've been really making efforts right. and bringing in speakers right. and working with us uh, on those kinds of issues. Terrific. Edir, this has been uh, very informative, and I really appreciate it. As Samantha does, you're coming in. I would say that when you have to go to Hawaii, if you need somebody to carry your bags, I'm available. <laughs> okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Legislative Breakdown is a podcast from Boise State Public Radio. I'm Samantha Wright with Boise State Political Science Professor Gary Moncrief. Our original music comes from local artist and composer Will Hall of the bands New Dude and Like of the Dog. If you like this podcast, rate us on iTunes and help other people find us. And thank you very much for listening. Remember, it's your legislature. <laughs>